Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more. After having a baby, you can feel like getting out of your PJs before lunch requires a Herculean effort. But my next guest is not just getting out of her PJs. She's training for the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. In November last year, she had her second baby, a little boy called Sunny. Eloise Wellings is a two-time Olympic runner and three-time Commonwealth Games athlete, founder of the Love Mercy Foundation and Ubiquinol Ambassador. Eloise, welcome to Feed Play Love. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, that was a mouthful for me, but I imagine it's very... um, it's a very big timetable for you to juggle all those balls. Yeah. So thank you for making time for us. You're welcome. Let's start with the first thing on that list, running. What do you love about running? Because you must really love it. I do. Uh, I love that you can get fit really quickly and efficiently through running. And I just feel free when I run. I, it clears my head and... Um, I feel healthy and it energizes me. It actually gives gives me energy um, rather than makes me tired. Am I um, having children? Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a better person when I'm running. Yeah. I, I think I'm a better mum, a better friend, better wife. You um, get everything out yeah. when you run sometimes as well, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's it. Purge everything. Well, you have been running for a long time. Did you slow down at all before the birth of your daughter? So before... Indy, India was my first born. She's six now. I ran up until I was 38 and a half weeks pregnant. Wow. Um, but it was it's a lot different training than Olympic standard training. So I was running between sort of six kilometers and 10 kilometers, <laughs> um, jogging uh, at talking pace, always at talking pace. Um, I'm but, laughing know. because I couldn't even make 15 meters, <laughs> especially not eight and a half months pregnant. Right. But that was obviously, um, you were extremely fit before you fell pregnant. Yeah. And so only six kilometers, <laughs> six to 10, just a small run. Yeah. And how did you find recovery after birth in terms of getting back into running and training? And So after my first one or the second one? Let's go first. Let's go first. Uh, so with Indy, I had an emergency cesarean, pretty traumatic birth as births go. I know m- most births are, can be have their own level of trauma. Oh, no, but there trauma. are some that are more than um, So it took me actually a little while to mentally recover, um, and I didn't really – I had no desire to run. It was the first time in – since I can remember, since I was a little girl, that I had no desire to run. That would be very confusing, wouldn't it? It really yeah. was. It was a confusing time. But, you know, I sought some, you know – mental health help as well, like to, to recover from the trauma of um, going through that experience. And um, yeah, it was probably about four months when I went for my first run and it was great. I'd recovered physically from the cesarean and um, I was in a much better headspace mentally to be able to go and, I guess, get back into running. And I knew that once I started up again, I'd start setting some goals and you know, it would it would basically be putting my feet back in the water. So I, I waited a long time, or I guess relatively, 
um, long time to to do that. And yeah, once I got started, I I just honestly I felt like myself again. And I think it, I think it actually helped the process of recovering as well quicker. And then with my second birth, um, again a cesarean. It was scheduled, but I actually went into labour with Sunny uh, two days before the scheduled cesarean. <laughs> so it was it was somewhere between the serene um, experience that I was hoping for of just you know being ready and waiting for them to come and get me in the hospital room and go, okay, we're ready, Um, you know, to the, I guess, traumatic experience that I had with Indy. So it was somewhere in between there. I was still five minutes apart in terms of contractions when I went in for the cesarean. So I was still, you know. That's really unfair. Yeah. (laughs) So unfair. Yeah. I was was in denial too. I'm like, this is not happening. I slept through a night of, of like having contractions, you know, went to bed with those sort of. 12 minutes apart and I was like this is <laughs> if this I is not happening it. yeah if I ignore it maybe it'll go away and I slept with one eye open and then you know four o'clock the next morning I'm like yep yep I think I should call the call the hospital <laughs> um so yeah it wasn't a rushed it wasn't stressful it was it was really nice and then yeah the recovery was was actually heaps better I think you know mentally I was in a much better space and then physically it was I think I went for my job, my first jog after about 20 days. Wow. Um, See, the thing that fascinates me about that, I know that you're fit. I know you were fit before both um, babies. But so much about pregnancy feels like you're all of your, well, it is, your internal organs are moving around. And mm-hmm. sometimes I just felt like they were just going to fall out of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must have an awesome pelvic floor. Um. Yeah, I'm, I must. <laughs> I think, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for being able to, again, I was able to, to run and feel comfortable running quite a fair way into my pregnancy. I think with Sunny, it was about 37 weeks. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to save my pelvic floor from now. Yes. Um, and then, you know, oh, I guess a week later I went into labor. And, yeah, I, because I'd maintained that, that level of fitness and strength throughout pregnancy, I was able to get back into it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to, I guess, why I'm able to train like I am now. I've actually surprised myself a little bit in terms of how well I've recovered. I didn't expect to recover this well, but, yeah, it's great. Did you have uh, any um, input from your OB while you were training? I asked my obstetrician, should I stop training? Like, should I stop running? Like, what? how do you think I should play this out? And I knew what I'd done with Indy, but obviously I'm six years older. And she said, this is something that you've done every day for most of your life. And this is something that your body is so used to. She's like, why would, why would you stop? Mm. And... I didn't have an answer. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm basically, she just said, you know, unless you don't feel like going, like just continue what you've been doing um, within reason. And yeah. And as I said, like, it's, it's, it's a lot different. It's kind of like doing a different sport in terms of between, you know, Olympic training, the other end of the spectrum, I'm running 140 kilometers a week. Now. There's, uh, I'm building up to that. I'm at about 105 at the moment. Um, <laughs> I've got to stop but, laughing. It just sounds like such a huge number to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, prior to being pregnant, was running, you know, upwards of 130, 140 kilometers a week. And then 
and most of that or th- at least three to four sessions of that being quite hard training and to then going down to maybe 50 kilometers a week of easy running and at talking pace is not it's not a hard thing for you. Some, yeah. <laughs> well, for a professional female middle distance runners. And the funny thing is, is that most of my friends don't know any other runners. So they all think that I'm crazy. <laughs> but if I, you know, if you talk to any of, if you go into the athletics world, the athletic circles, it's nothing to, you know, to be able to continue running throughout your pre- pregnancy. It's you're not seen as superwoman, mm. I guess. It's, well, it's I great. see you as superwoman. <laughs> you are superwoman, let's be honest. The training that you're doing now, how long does it take in a day? Like, you know, day to day, how much time does it take up? Yeah, it depends what day it is. But um, so I run usually between sort of 10 and 20 kilometres in the morning. Um, and that takes about an hour and a half on average 20 kilometers would take about an hour and a half and then uh, the afternoon session is either gym or elliptical or both I haven't started second runs yet uh, just second because runs? I just where I go for a second run in the afternoon oh right so, so du- double runs yeah um which would be part of my normal training but I'm still doing a little bit of cross training um, Lifespan Fitness actually have been really generous and sent out a couple of pieces of equipment to me so that I can train at home, so that I can put Sunny to sleep in the pram and then jump on and do whatever my second session is of the day. Wow, get that I'm just, that's what I'm trying to get my head around because your daughter being six, she's at school, mm-hmm. um, and then of course a baby which is just like demand all the time, yeah, twenty four seven. How does it work in your home, like um, with your husband and yep. having to work and all that stuff? Yeah, well, my husband's a nurse. He's uh, so he's on shift work and he does twelve hour shifts. So when he's on a day shift, it's quite challenging because he he leaves at about twenty past six in the morning and gets home at about quarter to eight. I so that means I basically have to get all my training done before 20 past six. Uh, so it can mean some early, wow. really early mornings. And I've I've committed to breastfeeding for as long as I can. So just trying to time, I actually find that probably the most challenging part. If I just had to get up and run, that would probably be um, still okay. still right? How's but Sonny sleeping? He's sleeping really well. And I think that that's... Well, I, there's absolutely no way that I'd be able to do it if he wasn't a good sleeper. But yeah, some it's some mornings it means like a four o'clock get up to feed him and then pump and then go training and then yeah. God. But I can I often I can either lie down with Sunny during the day and have like a quick nap or um, at least put my feet up and rest. And I think that that's important. Otherwise, I just don't have energy for anything else no god i can imagine because you did say that running energizes you but obviously running those distances is going to take something out of you as does breastfeeding right Mm. because he's sucking everything out of you all the goodness out of you yeah how do you stay strong what do you put in to be able to manage yeah all of that well i think you know nutrition's always been important for me as an athlete but now certainly like it's doubly as important because I've got another like there's another human relying on you know what I put into my body and how I feel it so I mean just trying to eat uh, like as unprocessed foods as possible and 
trying to eat, you know, regular meals and often, you know, they've got to be meals that I can eat with one hand because yes. I'm, I'm holding him. Um, so, you know, tacos is out. Um, <laughs> and I mean supplementing as well, supplementing with things like ubiquinol, uh, which is the active form of, of coenzyme Q10. It, you know, it, every cell in our body relies on on that for energy production supplementing with things like magnesium which helps my muscles recover from hard training um so there's things like that that i do as well as making sure that my diet is as squeaky clean as possible and do you I'm eat just getting, spaghetti yeah we eat we eat pasta <laughs> my husband makes a really good pasta i think you know um does that mean because you've got a squeaky clean diet what one of the best things for me about breastfeeding was the sense that i could just eat as many jam donuts as i wanted yeah because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I know there's no i have no expert advice to back up but that is scientifically <laughs> true but it felt like because they and I, I did i mean not everyone it doesn't happen to everyone but when i breastfed the weight just fell off me because they were like it felt like they were sucking my everything out of me and I know it doesn't happen for everyone Mm. um do you have like with in terms of fats yeah I think I mean maybe they say that the research suggests that there's you're you're probably expending between 300 and 500 extra calories a day if you're breastfeeding between nine and 12 times which at three and a half months that's about right for sunny but for me if I want to feel good when I'm training, six jam donuts, <laughs> probably not going to cut it. But um, I mean, be great at the time, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I just eat more of the same foods. I just, you know, bulk onto the good stuff. And because I've got to be able to have enough energy for everything that I'm doing. So, mm. And how is your daughter about it? Because she's grown up her life watching you run. What's her relationship like with um, mummy's training and all that stuff? Yeah, she she loves it. I mean, we it's funny because we took her, we traveled around quite a bit between the ages of, I guess, she was 15 months old when I competed at my first, oh, my third Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. And so she's, you know, been quite a few places and, you know, she was, we spent a month in the mountains before the Rio Olympics and it was basically, she was the only child. And so she's kind of grown up, yeah, around, I guess, me and all of these other elite athletes. And she's very, very competitive. Um, (laughs) She's, I don't know who she gets that from. Um, Yeah, there's definitely some slamming doors when we play cards and (laughs) Uno and yeah. But yeah, she she loves it. I don't know if she'll she will take any interest in running. She loves it at the moment. She does running club at school and I love to watch her run. I quietly just sit there just so excited <laughs> watching her run because she's a beautiful runner. She is relaxed and she's got a really really sweet nice stride to watch. But she loves soccer and swimming and all of those things and I think that's great. I think at such a young age to do a, a bunch of different sports and then help your child find what they're passionate about is great. And I won't be disappointed at all if she doesn't want to run. I just wanted to find out what she loves and go go with that with everything she's got. You started the Love Mercy Foundation. Can you tell us 
why you decided to do that. I can imagine that training and with the goals that you set yourself, you've got your hands full. But you, you've started this foundation. Why was that? Uh, I met a Ugandan athlete um, named Julius in 2008, and we just became great friends. And he um, came from a very poor community in northern Uganda, and he just shared his story with me about his upbringing. Uh, he was kidnapped when he was age 11 and forced to be a child soldier. Northern Uganda went through 25 years of civil war. And so he had an incredible story of resilience and perseverance um, to get to where he was. And at the time, I was at this in this space where I was about to miss my third Olympics in a row because of injury. So I was really discouraged and despondent about the sport and about, I guess, my future in the sport. And I guess his story brought me a lot of perspective. And yeah, as I said, we just became great friends, him and his his wife, Grace, uh, and, and my husband, Johnny. And we went to their wedding in Uganda and, and saw firsthand, I guess, the, the things that Julius had been telling us about and the, the struggle and the plight of his community there. And we just committed to helping him do what we could to to help people get back on their feet, I guess, um, that, and stand a very, alongside them. very easy sentence to say, but I can imagine there was a lot that went on after you made that decision. Did yeah. you, did yeah. you learn, what did you learn about, I mean, you're starting a charity and yeah. working out how things work in Uganda. And yeah, well, thankfully, you know, I it was just... It was amazing how it's all happened, actually, because as soon as I got back from that first trip, I just kept meeting people that could help. And one of them, crucially, was our now CEO, Caitlin Barrett, who had been studying international development at university. She was doing a master's in development, which is basically the relief of poverty in developing countries. And I told her all about it. She was working for my brother at the time. And and she said, can I, I, I said, well, this is what we want to do. And she said, can I help you? And, you know, from that moment on, she became the CEO. <laughs> um, and, you know, but Katie, honestly, she's been crucial to the success of, of Love Mercy. And then we've got a number of, you know, that we've just grown as a team. We've got Beck, our fundraising manager, and Caitlin Jr. We've got a number of Caitlins. It gets really <laughs> confusing in our office, but... You know, um, she takes care of our social media and that's so important we've found in terms of engaging and connecting um, our Love Mercy family in, in the happenings of what's happening in, in Uganda. And then, of course, our, our faithful staff over in Uganda. So I think we've just all come together as a team. Like it's definitely not been a one-woman band or a one-man show. It's It's been um, this journey of, you know, gathering people um, for the same collective cause. And it's grown a lot over that period. What are the things you're proudest about what you've achieved? We celebrated our 10 years just last week um, in Love Mercy and with our Sense for Seeds program, which is our main, our main program on the ground in Uganda. It's a farming program. We run primarily with women to help them use farming as a means to create their own livelihood and break the cycle of poverty. And we started Sense for Seeds with 100 women in 2009. And this week, our team um, will distribute 17,800 loans 
um, in Sense for Seeds. And, you know, we've heard the women say to us, I feel like my life is important now. You know, before I had nowhere to run from my problems, now I can fix them on my own. And so there's this real sense of, of pride and accomplishment in being able to provide for their own families. And all we're doing is standing alongside in, uh, alongside them and, and believing in them. And, you know, it costs $30 to sponsor a woman through the program, and it's a s- completely sustainable program. They give the loan um, of seeds back at the end of the season um, so that we can pass it on for another woman, which is why it's grown so much. And I guess the, the thing that I'm most proud of is that, yeah, we just graduated 417 of those women that have said, we don't need you anymore. We have been in this program for a number of years. They've um, bought their own cattle. They're able to pay for their own children's education. They're able to buy their own household items and food and pay for their own medical bills. And they're sustaining themselves now. It's and amazing. Yeah, it just, I guess it enables us to be able to move into other areas and um, it leaves them with a sense of empowerment. That's amazing. Um, so, of course, the big goal for this year is the Olympics. How are you feeling about that? I mean, it's a very uncertain time, isn't it? Like, I heard they didn't even know if they were going to have the Olympics, mm-hmm. depending on what happens with the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uncertain at the moment. And I think as, a, as an athlete, it, 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 can, be, it can be a bit rattling um, because... I guess I'm coming at it from a completely different angle this time because, you know, even I didn't even decide that I was going to have a a go at the Olympics until maybe two weeks before Sonny was born. I had a chat to my coach on the phone and he said, you know, you know, there's still a chance if you wanted to take it. And I guess when someone dangles an Olympic (laughs) carrot in front of you, in front of your face, um, you will have a crack at it. But yeah, I mean, it's, I'm definitely going to need a miracle to, to make it, but I'm having, I'm having a shot. I've still got to run the qualifying time. I've still got to get into the race that I could potentially run the qualifying time in. So there's kind of two hurdles that I need to jump before being actually selected in the team. But yeah, it's definitely a, a weird time to be an, an athlete training for the Olympics because you don't want to be caught on the back foot if the Olympics does go ahead. But it's also, it's you are so surrounded by all of the media attention um, and it would be really difficult not to uh, to ignore that, you know, yeah, um, to ignore it and, and, you know, the potential of it either being postponed or being cancelled altogether. It would just be devastating. And I think I'd, I'd probably be, if it was cancelled, um, I'd probably be the most saddest for the Japanese people because they're just such a, a proud culture. And I know that they would have worked incredibly hard to make this the best games ever. But again, it's just one of those things that you can't control and hopefully it can be contained and... Go ahead. Yeah. What is your career span like with long-distance running how long do you have to run? You're 36, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. 37. 37 actually, now. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you forget, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I try to forget. Yeah. Um, so what is the future like for you, uh, regardless of the Tokyo Olympics? Uh, I think, I don't want to put a number on it, but I, you know, there's there's women in my sport and my events still killing it at 43 so if I had another six years, 
five, six years of elite running, I'd be really happy with that. And yeah, as I said, I don't want to put a number on it just because I think we can become really fixated on age and I think it's got more to do with desire than anything and how much drive you have and how much ambition you still have to see how good you can be and see what your ultimate potential is. And I still have that desire and that drive. And so that's what gets me up at four o'clock in the morning to feed (laughs) and pump and then go training. Um, I mean, I did say to my mother-in-law about a week ago, because she slept over so that I could go and do that, that whole program. And because Johnny had to go to work and do night shift. Anyway, details. I said to her, I honestly, if you didn't stay the night and kind of sacrifice your night, I would have slept in this morning. And she's like, why? And I'm like, well, I just woke up and I thought, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> this is, it's so early in the morning. And she's like, I said, I just thought, why don't, why don't I just be like a stay at home mom? Not just because that's the most important job in the world. Um, but she said, you would last about five minutes being a stay-at-home mum. And I thought, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to try it <laughs> well, <laughs> just for a few days. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... After Tokyo. Yeah, after Tokyo, I'm going to... I'll have a little break and I'll use the time that I didn't use when I first had Sunny, I guess, to relax and... <laughs> Milk that time, I guess. Pardon the pun. Oh, no, that's not going to work because, yeah, he'll be crawling. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Eloise, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us. Thank you so much for having me. That's Eloise Wellings. She's an Olympian, founder of the Love Mercy Foundation and Ubiquinal Ambassador. If you'd like to learn more about the Love Mercy Foundation, we'll put links in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.